Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. Our hope is that this message will share that gospel, truth, and love in a way that will bless you, enrich you, and better equip you as a disciple. Go ahead and be seated. As Kenny said, I want to I wanna join him in welcoming you to the kickoff uh, of our VBS week. And the theme this, this year is a game show, if you couldn't tell. Um, a 60s or 70s game show. Thank you, sir. And it's about, it's called Tell Me the Truth. And to best set the stage for this week, one of the things we've started doing over the last couple of uh, years is that we kind of build in the first and second, or the, the, the beginning and the end of VBS here on Sunday so that we can all sort of be a part of the experience. We can all sort of pick up what's going on. And to best kind of do that, I want to use our teaching time to talk about God as our protector. Okay, God is our protector. And I'm going to use one of the stories that our young people are going to be learning about this week. We're going to talk about the parting of the Red Sea. If you are familiar with the story of the parting of the Red Sea, then you may know, if you grew up in church or you've been to some Bible class, you may know that this is sort of the climax of the most important event in the history of God's people in the Old Testament, the Exodus. Okay, the Exodus is a big deal because, because this is how God is going to identify to God's people. Okay, when, when giving the Ten Commandments to the people of God, God introduces himself by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods besides me. That God identifies as the God of the Exodus, as the God who is a liberator, is important to us as God's people. Now, in the Exodus, God sets the Israelites free from their oppressors, Egypt, by going to war against the gods of Egypt. And, and what happens there is that God performs these signs and wonders that we call the ten plagues. And I'm not sure if it's because there are ten fingers that we thought, yeah, this will be great for kids' Bible classes. <laughs> I'm not sure when it was that in Sunday, we decided, you know, we should make the 10 plagues a part of every Sunday school curriculum because these are going to be great. You know, it's just a little troubling part of scripture where God seems to do awful thing after awful thing to the Egyptians, the enemies of God's people, pretty much just because God can. And I mean, they're ready to throw in the towel and he's like, not yet. Uh, we'll be done when I say we're done, right? The discipline is coming down from the parent and, 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 and God decides when they've had enough. And it's not, none of it is very kid friendly. All right, let's go ahead and throw that out there. All right, we've got uh, blood, rivers of it, literally. 
Slimy frogs, swarming gnats, filthy flies, dead cows and goats everywhere. Everyone's covered in open weeping sores. They get battered by hailstones, uh, devastated by hungry locusts, covered in darkness, and it culminates in the plague of the death of the firstborn. Yeah, sounds perfect for kids' classes. Let's just do that. Let's roll right into it. As a matter of fact, I found a picture online. Uh, You can buy finger puppets. I mean, that looks great. Is that a, what's that cup? Oh, that's different. I don't remember that one. Uh, But yeah, you can buy, you know, you can buy the finger puppets so that you can teach this stuff as well. That's helpful. Here's the deal. When we get to this part of the story where God goes to war against the gods of Egypt and wins decisively, it is so, and I want to be clear, it is so terrifying to both the Egyptians and the Israelites that when, the, the battle is so lopsided that when Israel is set free, they don't just leave, they flee. They run. All right? They don't, they don't celebrate, they don't mourn, they leave. God has acted in power to liberate Israel, but this was never a power grab This is an exodus, an exit, a removal, a rebirth. And in moments like these, God will ask more of you than you think you have to give. Sometimes God might even ask you to do the impossible. It is our tradition to honor and reverence the God of Scripture by standing when we read the Scripture. And so if you will and you are able, stand for the reading of God's Word from Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Heavenly Father, you have always been on the side of your people. You have always seen us, heard us, loved us, acted on our behalf, been gracious to us, protected us. God, give us eyes to see what you are up to. Give us eyes to behold what you are doing. Speak, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when the Israelites leave Egypt, if you noticed in that verse, they, they head, they don't go to the main road. Right? They don't they don't take the short and sensible route. And the Bible made sure to tell you it was shorter. They didn't go to the they didn't go to the road that led through because even though it was shorter. They didn't take the road that made sense. Instead, God leads them through the wilderness. 
Now, why wouldn't God simply take the short, direct path? You know, the one that we can see. I wish there was a button on my GPS, on, on, on Google or whichever map you use. I wish there was a button that you could press that was like, don't save me time if it doesn't make sense. Because they, my Google will have me driving on a dirt road like goat path. And I'm, I'm driving, but I can see just like 200 yards that way is a main highway going the exact same way. And they're like, just promise us we're going to save you 30 seconds. And I'm like, I don't need those 30 seconds. I need these shocks to last. And, and so I need you to understand I'm driving a 2013 and it's not going to make it on this path. And so can we just do the common sense directions and I'll go ahead and get on that main highway and we'll be all right. God doesn't take them on the main highway. Instead, God takes them into the wilderness. And here's what I learned from that. God doesn't always take you where you want to go. We look at it and say, it's common sense. The road's just right over there. We could just take that road. We're going there. It's going to work. Yeah, I'm not taking you that way. God doesn't always take you where you want to go. And even when God leads us where we want to go, God rarely takes the short and the straight path. Here's one of the things I've learned. God has a plan. Amen? But God's plans are rarely our plans. Okay, God has a plan. But God's plans are rarely our plans. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near that place. (laughs) It's it's a little early. I got to get the blood pumping before I can get to that. Right, Dr. Hill says that place. Um, Between Migdal and the sea, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite that other place. Um, And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he'll pursue them. But I'll gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, if you knew the geography involved, that place and that other place, then you would notice God tells them to go back. That's what, the, that's what the, the Bible said on the screen, go back to, and then it starts listing places. They are actually being told to retrace pretty much every step. So all the progress you thought you had made thus far, I want you to retrace all those steps going back God, that's, that's confusing. Yes, I want it to look confusing. Okay, I, my plan, I have a plan, but my plan is not your plan. Your job is to trust me. I'll be in the plan business, you be in the trust business. So I want you to go back to a position in the north of the Egyptian wilderness that's basically like a cul-de-sac at the dead end of a street. <clears throat> to the north There is a massive Egyptian fortress. All right, you're not going to go that way. To the south is the massive Egyptian desert. Also not very enjoyable. 
To the west were the cities they had just escaped from. Oh, and an army in hot pursuit of them. So we're probably not going to go that way. So that narrows down the options. Looks like we're headed east. What's the problem? Is that to the east is water. The Red Sea. So we really are backed into a corner. What kind of a plan of escape is this? Militarily speaking, this is the worst spot they could have gone to. And yet that's where God leads them. God has a plan, but God's plans are rarely our plans. Go back into chapter 13 and verses 21 and following and you'll see how God is going to lead them. It says, by the day, in verse 21, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. There is a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire pillar of cloud, pillar of of fire. They can always be guided. God has given God's people guidance. God provides us with guidance. The truth is, we love gray area, but sometimes God is really easy to see. I know that there are times when God seems very absent and camouflaged. This isn't one of those. At night, it's a giant tower of fire. I think I could spot it. Sometimes God isn't camouflaged. Sometimes God's truth is really easy to see and the way is made very clear. That may not be the way you want to go, but it's the way that God has marked for us. And I can hear them saying, wait, into the desert? But the road is right there. Wait, you want us to go into the sea? But we're going to drown. You want us to go into battle against them? But they're bigger and stronger than us. Just look at them. You want me to walk out onto the water? But I'm going to sink. You want me to climb Calvary? But I'll die up there. Onto that cross, but it's going to hurt. Forgive them, but I was right. Don't cut corners, but literally everyone else is. It's even kind of expected. Wait for marriage, but it feels good. And no one gets hurt. One of the biggest lies the devil is convincing this world with right now is that the definition of sin is whether or not someone gets hurt. Folks, that is not how God and the Bible have defined sin. Did someone else get hurt? Obviously, I don't want you to hurt people, but things are, things are sinful and wrong because God has said don't do them. Not just because someone got hurt. You you can sit in your room all alone and do things that dishonor God and they're called sin. 
even if no one else got hurt. Because very often when we say things like, well, no one got hurt, what we mean is no one else besides me, but I don't count. You get the picture. The way is clear, but very often we don't like the way. But God will provide with guidance. God is not afraid. And, and, and here's, the, here's the tough part. God is not afraid to lead us into trouble from time to time. Good trouble. Look at chapter, look at chapter 14 and verse 9. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near those places. <laughs> All of Pharaoh's horses. I just, I, 14 times we are told that Pharaoh brought all the chariots, all the horses and soldiers, every chariot, every horse. If you read this section, 14 times it emphasizes the totality of Pharaoh's force. Pharaoh in his grief following the Passover begged Israel to leave. The people of Egypt even paid them with their silver and gold and said, just get out. Just take the severity of your God and leave. But when the anger sets in, Pharaoh decides he doesn't like that he's sent the workforce away. He doesn't want to let his slaves go, so he pursues them with full force into the desert. Full force. And the Israelites react exactly the way you think they would. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, this is the first time we'll hear this song, not the last. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Why would we ever leave Egypt? That song's going to get old by the end of this story. You see, this generation that's saying this, every single one of them grew up in Egypt. They lived and learned like Egyptians. But God wanted to train them to think like God's people, not like Pharaoh's people. The truth is that it can take being in tight places to break lifetime habits. Here's what I've learned. When we get hemmed in on every side, we only have one place to look. Up. They get hemmed in on every side. There is nowhere else to look but up and say, God, what's going on now? And so enter God, the great protector. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. The only thing I need you to do is be still. All right? This is Moses' declaration about God, and this is Moses' reassurance to them. And, and I'll tell you what I need to hear it. He starts off and he says, do not be afraid. 
Now, by the way, these, these words, do not be afraid, tend to accompany almost every theophany in the Bible. A theophany is when God reveals God's self to, to God's people like they see God. All right? The, almost every theophany begins with, don't be afraid. It's on the lips of almost every angel. Don't be afraid. Moses is telling them, prepare yourselves. God's about to go to work. Then he says, stand firm. And when he says stand firm, understand he's not saying, I want you to stand firm so you can be ready to fight. He says, stand firm so you can watch God fight for you. He says, you're going to see God's deliverance today. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You'll see God's salvation. The word for deliverance is the word Yeshua. The Hebrew word Yeshua is translated, when we put it in English, it's Jesus. You're going to see God's salvation today. You're going to see deliverance today. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Do you believe that? You think they believed that? Do you know how hard that is to believe sometimes? Sure you do. You need only to be still. He's not telling them do nothing. Okay, when he says be still, that's not, that's not be completely passive. Be still is something you may have said to your kids. It doesn't mean I want you to do nothing. It means I want you to stop. Stop all the busyness and motion. Stop talking. Stop moving. Stop panicking. Stop complaining. Hold your horses. Okay, I want you to, I want you to pay attention and be ready so that when God moves, you can move. And my problem is I spend so much energy being anxious and, 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 and worried and scared and frustrated and angry and, 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 and complaining that God, I, I think if God, God would have to use a bullhorn to get my attention. And so he says, the Lord is going to fight for you, but you got to be still. Stop. You're panicking. Stop your trembling. Stop your complaining so that you're paying attention. In verses 15 to 16, God tells them to move. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And, and I need you to hear this in order. All right. I... Move on where? There's not a way to go yet. God calls God's people to move before God has even opened the way. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Moses, stretch out your hand so they can go through on dry land. Dry what? <laughs> How? 
God, you're asking the impossible. Trust me, Moses. Follow me. I promise I've not lost the way. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Watch what God does. Look at verses 19 and following. The angel of God who had been traveling in, the for, in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. God doesn't just move to protect them. God even covers up the thing that they're afraid of so they can focus more on what God has said for them to do. God puts blinders on them, puts himself between them and their enemies so that they are not distracted by their fear. God is our great protector. Amen? And then in verse 21, the power of God on full display. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. God makes a way where there was no way. Think about this. The God of creation who once moved the waters and brought up the land acts now to move the waters to create the dry ground and says you know I can do this right I'm pretty good at it go ahead and trust me and walk out God's creative work enables the salvation of the faithful. Now, it, it, it also enables the possibility of judgment against those who do not have faith. And so in verses 26 to 29, God defeats the armies of Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the water so that they may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Not one of them survived. That was all of them. Not one of them survived. Kenny, I want to ask you, go ahead and bring your team up. So what do we learn from this display from God? What did, what did Moses learn? I, I think Moses learned, for, I mean, okay, Moses learned and God's people learned obedience, right? You go when God says go. You move when he says move. You, you trust God. Okay, got it. They learned that for sure. But one of the things they learned about was God's goodness. God is their protector. God's faithfulness wasn't giving up on them. God's power, absolutely. Absolutely. But I also think they learned <clears throat> gospel. Think about it. What happens in this moment 
the people of God were delivered even though they couldn't deliver themselves. And how did they get out of their bondage? Only by a miraculous provision from a loving and gracious God. And why was it possible for them to get out? Some people didn't make it out. And if we're honest, okay, it's not that it's easy enough to say, and yes, we've got the oppressors and the slaves, but, but it's not as easy to say that Israelites were all good and therefore they were morally more virtuous than the Egyptians. We can't be oversimplified in that. Read the rest of the story and you find out that the Israelites are not morally more virtuous. As a matter of fact, one of the things they're going to do is create an empire. Just like Egypt. And as a matter of fact, one of the kings of Egypt, one of the ones we really like supposedly, uh, Solomon is going to enslave Israelites to build his cities. There's going to be this replication of Egypt and the empire right there in Israel. So if not because they deserved it, why were they saved? Because they had something that that Egypt didn't have. A mediator. Moses is so identified with Israel that Moses is rebuked for the sins of Israel even when he did not commit them. But he is so identified with God that when he reaches out his arms, God's salvation is worked. And for us, our mediator Jesus so identifies with us that he took the punishment that was due us even though he himself had not sinned. But he so identifies with God that he stretches his arms out and the salvation of God has worked for all of us. We too have a mediator. We too have a protector. What if our protector God makes a habit of doing the impossible? Can you believe it, church? Then let's stand up. Stand up. Do you you believe that our protector God regularly does the impossible for us? He makes a way for salvation when there is no way. If you do not yet know the mediator Jesus... Claim him today. Begin that relationship with him today. Be baptized into Jesus today. Let's praise together. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message has been a blessing to those listening. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives in ways that are evident and easily seen. Most of all, I pray thank you for loving us and choosing us. We don't deserve it, but you are so good and so faithful and so true. 
We thank you for your spirit and your son. May we grow in them to your glory, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.